the side of the fence for us, doesn't it? We like to put more joy in our life, and the answer to most people for more joy is more of what they want. More things. And the problem with many of those things, as Peter Hamelman wrote in his song, is they are impermanent. They're almost magical, they're elusive, and they, and they get us going after them, and then when we get there, we find out it didn't last. It left, it faded, and yet we just keep going, 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 going. And as I reflected on life and reflected on this summer and, and even what's going on all around us, I thought, you know, it would be really a good idea to talk about how to put more joy in our lives. A lot of the interactions I've had with people this summer have been people going through a variety of difficult things in their life. And joy seems to be elusive. For many of us, if you're like me, we realize we can't control life, but all of us have wished that we could sort of make the difficult people and the difficult circumstances of our life just disappear. Just magically disappear and go away. And that the only things that would come in our life are those nice, pleasant, perfect things that are never upsetting, that never cause us any sorrow, that are never challenging, but simply nice. The problem, of course, is that it can't happen. The problem is none of us have that ability. None of us have that magic wand. Then you know what other people do? Some people realize they don't have a magic wand, but money is the great insulator. And so we go after the almighty dollar, expecting that when I finally get enough money, I can insulate myself from the other harsh realities that the common man has to deal with. I'll have enough money to buy a almost perfect car, enough money to buy toys and computers that won't break down, enough money to, well, quite honestly, buy a relationship. If this one breaks, I just move on. At least, that's what Hollywood seems to do. That's what Kevin Costner and Julia Roberts and everyone else seems to do. It just breaks, you just move on. J-Lo just moved on. She's with Ben now. We'll see how long her and Mr. Affleck last. Maybe they'll get married quick. And then, probably, they'll move on. And it's interesting, when you pull back the covers of the lives of the rich and famous, you find out that there is tremendous sorrow and tremendous sadness and a tremendous emptiness because they're enjoying life quite often less than you. <clears throat> and yet, you know, we can just fall in love with that, that mirage. I want to talk with you tonight about how to put more joy in your life. And what I share with you tonight, I tell you, I'm going to share a couple principles with you that have had a huge impact on my life. I haven't always known them. They were things I had to learn in the arena of life, things that God taught me from His Word and things that I then applied in my life. Now I want to share with you, just before I get into these tonight, how you can get the most out of the rock. I'll tell you a little secret. Some of you may not know this, but Doug up here, he's our bass player, the guy up here playing the bass. He's learning how to play the electric guitar. Spencer over here, he's been playing the guitar for about 30 years. About. Not quite, but about. 
And so it's been very interesting to watch Doug. Doug went and bought an electric guitar. Now, Doug has a job that he has to travel a lot, so he's in motels. So he's been practicing his electric guitar about five hours a day. Now, Doug's not married, doesn't have a family, so he's been practicing his guitar. Every week, when I come to The Rock, he brings his electric guitar. Before the service, when there's a few spare minutes, he's over here with Spencer, watching the buttons that he pushes. And he's asking questions as if he was a two-year-old inquiring, what are you doing now? Why are you doing that? And then during all the services, when he and Spencer are sitting back on a bench, both of them with their guitars in hand, because you see, in about a month, we're going to lose Spencer. Because Evergreen's going to have their own Saturday night services, so he can't be here anymore. And so Doug is sucking up as a sponge every possible thing that he can. Now I want to ask you this question. I don't mean this in a, in a bad way at all. I'm just asking the question. When you come to The Rock, are you really intending to suck up every single thing that Greg and I tell you and then take it home and do it? Because if you do, you'll have an incredible life. I mean that. Not because we're teaching you our thing, but because we're teaching you God's things. Or are you the kind of person that just sort of passively sits here hoping maybe there's a good-looking girl downstairs tonight or a good-looking guy you get to meet? And you know the message is just a secondary, a third dairy, a fourth dairy, who even cares, Barry, kind of a thing. When I was a young person, even to this day, number one reason I came to my church was to change my life. Number one reason. I'll tell you something. Greg and I regularly get phone calls from people who are asking us questions about things in their life that need to change, and we just shared a message two weeks earlier that if they'd have taken it home and done it, they wouldn't be asking the questions now. Now, I don't mind the questions, and don't take me wrong. Don't mind the calls. Maybe they missed the service. Maybe that night they just fell asleep. Maybe it didn't connect with them that night. But I promise you that if you have a determination to take home what you hear and do something with it, it'll change your life. And it will put more joy in your life. So tonight, I'm going to share with you two principles. They're very profound, and I've practiced them in the arena of life, and I guarantee you they work. There's a lot of other people who could attest to it as well. Many years ago, <clears throat> my wife and I, we lived in this big old house. And it was one of our favorite places. We've lived probably 10 different places, 12 since we've been married. This house was one of our favorites. It was in a really nice neighborhood, just a couple blocks from the Iowa State campus. And the Iowa State campus names is a beautiful old campus. And this house had a sun porch on it, and then it had a sunroom in the back of the house, and had all these old wood floors in it. She and I and our first two children, and and it was a big enough house that we shared it with a couple other people. And that kept the rent low for everybody. It had a garage that was kind of sunken down in the, into the ground, and you kind of drive between these two earth mounds to get into the garage. And it just had a lot of character, a lot of personality. Well, the day came when we had to move. <clears throat> Our finances got pretty difficult people we lived with were moving out of the city. 
we all just decided we needed a different situation. I couldn't afford to stay in that house alone paying the rent myself. So I looked and I looked and I looked and I looked and I just could not find a place for the money we had. One day I came home to Kathy and I said, Kathy, I said, I said, sweetheart, I, I don't know how to tell you this, but now I'm going to have to start looking at trailers. Because I think that's all that we can afford right now. And I remember, um, you know, and I have a wife who's really an extraordinary lady. That doesn't mean she doesn't have to adjust sometimes to my crazy ideas. And she started to cry. And I remember she saying to me, Mark, you you got to be kidding. We're going to go from this place to a trailer. Do you know what it's going to be like for me to tell my parents I'm going to move to a trailer? And I said, yeah, it's not going to be easy, Kathy. And it's really none of their business. If you think you got to tell them, I guess you got to tell them. But we really don't have any options, sweetheart. The way our finances are right now, the way the economy is right now, we just, there's just no other options. So she came, came back downstairs a little later. She said, you know, Mark, you do what you have to do. I know you love the family. I know you love me. So go do what you have to do. So I began looking. And even the trailers were expensive. Finally, a friend said he would sell his to me on contract. So I thought, you know, well, maybe I can work that out. So I did the math and realized, I don't think we can do it. And as I was deciding, there's some of the story you've heard, but a lot of it you haven't. A friend called me up and said, he would give me his trailer. I thought he meant he wanted to sell it to me. He said, no, I'm going to give it to you. All 580 square feet of it. And I just went from a three-story home with a sun porch and another sun porch, and I'm moving into 580 square feet of trailer. So I did, as I told you a few weeks back, I, I asked if I could come and see it. I went to see it, and it was this quaint little trailer in the dumpiest trailer court in the city. The trailer was like this, and then there's a parking lot, and on the other side of that parking lot, right in front of my trailer, down the hill, was the garbage dump. There was big concrete slabs, there was old furniture down there. It wasn't so much people's garbage like diapers and that kind of stuff, just the big stuff. And then when it would get green, the weeds would grow around and it was a little hard to see. The parking lot had mounds of dirt in it and weeds growing up. And the vacant lot that was just caddy corner to our trailer, the landlord never took care of it and had weeds in it. There was no place for the kids to play and the width of our yard was about eight feet wide and 50 feet long. And I walked into that little trailer and, and I remember thinking, you know, Lord, it's really nice of you to give me this trailer because the lot rent's only $70 a month, so that's nice, but Lord, why? This is really hard. This is not going to be easy to bring my family to. And I remember the day we moved in and my wife, you know, we kinda, she kind of made the place look as neat as you could. Pieces of the paneling had ripped off so the people took stain and they tried to match the stain, but... You could still see the paneling had ripped off. And none of the windows worked. All the cranks were broken. And it was made in 1968. And, well, you couldn't find replacement cranks, so no windows opened. Shortly after we moved in, about 
three weeks, the water heater broke. And I didn't have one need to fix the water heater, so for two months, we had no hot water. We played Little House on the Prairie, and we bathed the kids in the sink, mixed the cold water with boiled water on the stove, went down a few traders, borrowed a friend's shower. In the wintertime, the furnace would go out in the middle of the night on a regular basis. It usually happened two or three times a week. And I remember the first time it happened, I woke up and I was freezing. I could see my breath in the bedroom. I was like, what in the world just happened? I walked down the hall and realized the furnace was off and looked at the thermostat and it was way down. The problem wasn't that just that the furnace went off. The problem was it took about 35 minutes to get the pilot to relight and it about break your thumb and I had to reach newspaper when my hands are freezing way back in there. I don't like gas, but that's the way it was. Light it, hold the pilot in for about two minutes. My finger felt like it was going to break. And then you let it off just slow, but if it popped off, which it sometimes did, it went out and I had to start all over. There were boarded up trailers not far from where we lived and the police were up there all the time because some of the clientele were, they were in trouble with the law. I remember the first week that Kathy and I lived there, I made what turned out to be one of the most crucial decisions of my life and what has turned out to be over and over again the most critical decision of my life. And that was this. I can either sit in this trailer and whine and moan and grumble my life away and be pissed off at the world and at God for screwing me. Or I can decide to make the very best of this situation and make the very most of what God has given me. There were two verses that God had spoken to me about. One of them was in Proverbs 12, verse 10. And it says, Joy fills the hearts of those that are planning good. And then a verse in Romans says, Do not be overcome by evil, <clears throat> but overcome evil by doing good. So I began to look around me at the trailer court, and I realized, Kathy, you and I may be the only people up in this trailer court who know Jesus Christ in a personal way. Did you know that? You and I may be the only people who know what real joy really is. All these people's lives are so broken and they're so empty and they're so hurting. And we would see them, we'd begin to meet them. So I decided with Kathy, I said, you know what, Kathy? I got a plan, I got an idea. Let's make sure that everybody in this trailer court knows that when they pass our trailer, this trailer represents life. There's something good. There's a spark here. There's a rainbow hanging over our trailer. And I said, I got some ideas. It's going to take some work. But I believe we can make a difference in this trailer court. And I believe God's testing us. I was working at the time 75 hours a week. I worked days at an auto parts store and nights at a video arcade babysitting college students till one in the morning. Four nights a week. The other night was two in the morning. I didn't have much time, but I had about 50 bucks. 
With 25, I bought a used lawnmower. And I decided, and every Sunday, I was going to mow that vacant lot myself. If the landlord wouldn't do it, I'd do it because the little kids in the area, they needed a place to play. So I went out with that lawnmower. It didn't work all that well. You can imagine $25. And I pushed that thing back and forth, back and forth. First I walked through with my kids picking up the rocks that were there because there was big ones in the cans and the trash. And then my wife and I, we went around and I took a shovel, one of those spades, and went through the whole parking lot on our side with a sack and a barrel. And I scooped up all the mounds of dirt with the weeds and I dumped them in. We cleaned that parking lot till it was just like, well, except it wasn't black-topped. It looked new. We dumped it all over the side. And every year we were there, we did the same thing. I went out and bought a hundred flowers. A hundred. I counted them. And I dug up in front of our trailer where it was trashy and weedy. And I planted 100 little flowers. No one else in the whole place had any flowers. No one. Now, I'm not really a gardener, okay? I wanted to brighten up this dull, Auschwitz-like existence. Of course, it was nothing like Auschwitz, but to the people there, it was hell. And I took my little 73 AMC Hornet station wagon that I was paying $50 a month for, and I drove out to this farmer's field that I passed on my route, and farmers when they're disking their field, they hit stones, they pick them up, and they make a big pile outside by the ditch. So I went and stole some rocks. I didn't think he'd mind because they were on the other side of his fence, by the ditch, sort of like saying, take me, take me. So I took some. And I came back home and I put a little rock border around that, <clears throat> those flowers. My neighbor lived just on the other side of <clears throat> Kathy and I, he and his girlfriend, they were living together there. And my wife, she decided to take over a plate of cookies. We decided we're going to spread good cheer however we can with however little money we have. And so she sent the kids next door. and They knocked on the door and handed Jim and Mary a plate of cookies. And that began a lifelong relationship that's continued to this day. And whenever I'd mow my lawn, it took five whole minutes to mow. I'm talking my direct one, not the field. The field took quite a bit longer. I'd just go over and mow his too. Because his never got mowed. <clears throat> he was going to school <clears throat> and bartending at nights and she was going to school and cocktail waitressing at night. Once in a while, Kathy would make an extra pizza and she'd take one to them. Then just a few doors down from them, <clears throat> there was a couple in the... The husband and wife were as typical trailer as you can possibly imagine. They both were severely overweight, severely unhealthy. Their door was open all the time and they had two children. The husband was retarded. They had two children, <clears throat> Rachel and Michael. And they would roam the trailer court all hours of the night. Three, four, five years old. Little girl, she would come out in November. It'd be 35 degrees out. She'd have a little swimsuit on with no shoes. My wife, she really loves children. Actually, we all do, but she really loves them. So she'd invite little Rachel in to play. She'd send Rachel home with some 
extra little clothes that she found at a garage sale. And she'd go down and talk to her mother and, of course, ask if it was okay. And the mother said it was all right. <clears throat> and after about a month of that, we all got infected with lice. Because Rachel had lice. No matter, we just deloused the house and deloused our heads and had Rachel over the next week. And then there was a lady on the other side of the trader court whose husband was a trucker and he was never home. She had five children in her little trailer with her. Expecting her sixth turned out to be a Down syndrome baby. My wife took over any extra diapers that we had and any Lamisil that we had and it's baby or baby formula. That's not Lamisil, something else. I forget the name. And everywhere we went in that trailer court, we just decided we are going to make the best of the situation and spread love and kindness wherever we go. We found an old swing set at a garage sale, and I got it home with a buddy of mine, and we put it in that little vacant lot, and the kids would come out and play on the swing set. In the wintertime, I'd take my kids in the woods on a sled, and I'd pull them down the frozen creek, and we made the most and had good times, and we'd play adventure out in the woods. The three years that we lived there were probably three of the best of my life. I have incredible memories from that trailer court. Rachel, just a few years ago, the little girl in the trailer court wrote my oldest daughter and told her how she had found Christ as her Savior. The two people living next to us in the trailer, Jim and Mary, the day we brought our daughter Jessica home, we had the privilege of leading both of them to Christ. And there were many others in that run-down, awful court. And I've since taken my kids there three times on a little pilgrimage. When we head south to Missouri or Kansas, I stop in Ames and I just show them where Mom and Dad used to live and where our lives sort of began and what lessons and what environment God taught us those lessons in. I've never forgotten the lesson that if you want to enjoy your life more, then make the most of every circumstance that you have in your life. Don't make excuses. Don't curse your luck. Now, you may have to grieve. You may have to process it. But I want to encourage you, process it and get down to the business of doing something positive with your life. God can do something extraordinary in and through your life. And I mean this honestly. We had much joy in that trailer. The day that we brought little Jessica home, which was almost 18 years ago, the back of our trailer was from here to that music stand away from the next trailer. If you could have opened the window, we could have reached out and touched each other. We only stayed in the hospital a day because I did not have insurance. So I brought Kathy and Jessica home the very first day she was born. That night, the guy in the trailer court decided at nights to gut his trailer with a saw and a hammer. And every night for months, when my wife and new baby were trying to sleep, he was gutting his trailer. My wife didn't fall apart. My wife didn't have a nervous breakdown. My wife didn't throw in the towel. 
my wife, made the very best of the circumstances that God gave us. One night, little Jessica was laying in that crib. And I got up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, and obviously I wear glasses. I can't see very well. And I noticed something by the crib. I put on my glasses, and here from the ceiling to the crib was a gigantic garden spider and literally thousands of baby spiders crawling on that web just over my daughter's head. My wife didn't hold a gun to my head and said, you SOB, if you don't get me out of this house, I'm walking out on you. We made the most, the very best of the circumstances that God allowed in our lives. And I want to tell you something. If you seriously want more joy in your life, then I want you to go home this week and I want you to evaluate honestly what could I do differently in my life with the present circumstances that I am in right now? What could I do differently to make the very best of this situation? Maybe you're living with a roommate who's kind of been driving you crazy. So I want you to ask yourself the question, what could I do to make their life better? Do you want to know a little secret? You know what Proverbs says about life? It says, he who refreshes others will be refreshed. When you take care of others, you're taking care of your best interest. When you spend time looking out for other people from a sincere heart, not because you want something back, but because you literally respect God and you realize that if He had not been looking out for you, our lives would be miserable. We'd have nothing. And God gives us the privilege of looking out for others. I want to close with one other story. I one other principle, but it's very similar. I had about ten different jobs before I became a pastor. All of them sucked. Okay, I'm just being really honest with you. I never got to do what I was skilled at. I never got to do what I enjoyed. I, God gave me things that, uh, that upon which my survival depended. One of them was this job in this parts department, this Cadillac dealership with a bunch of guys who swore at me every day, every single day. They called me names. They swore at me. The service manager had his master's in psychology, and on his wall hung a plaque that said, to err is human, to forgive is not my policy. And he lived that way, and he would play mind games with you. So I found out really soon, I was in the parts department, there was one other gentleman, and one other guy, and the other, but the gentleman had been there longest, was about 68, and he couldn't retire because he didn't have enough money. He was a dear old guy, but he couldn't get around very fast, and they just annihilated him with their names and their belittling, and, and he tried very hard for them. And I just decided one day, I said, you know what, God, this is the only way I have to take care of my family. So you know what? I'm determined to become the best parts person they've ever had in this department. I am going to be better. Now, you have to understand what I mean. I don't mean this arrogantly, but I'm going to be better, and I'm going to learn more about these parts than this guy who's been here 40 years. 
And so during any, during any free moment that I had, I would make up a part in my mind, like, okay, I got a 1982 Cadillac with the four-liter engine and a blah, 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 and I need this fuel injector. And I would quick see how fast I could find it. It was before we had computers. Now you go and they have everything on a computer. And, have, and there's books this far across on the counter. And I began looking for the part. And then I'd go get the part, see how fast, and I would time myself. Then I decided, you know what, I'm going to go one extra. Instead of making these guys come up, you'd hit the bell and wait for their part. Whenever I can, I've got the extra time. I'm going to hop over the counter and I'm going to put the part on the fender of the car they're working on. Because the faster they go, the more money they can make. And I'm going to make it very clear that I'm in this business to help them make more money. I'm not here for me. Then one day I noticed these guys are always hungry all the time. Males typically are. And one day one of them was standing up on my counter and he said, and he was swearing, cussing out his wife, call her the old lady this, the old lady that. And he said, man, you know, I don't get any real popcorn with real butter anymore. I mean, I get popcorn, but it never has real butter. The old lady never does this, blah, 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 blah. He was just, he was a swine of a person. So one day I went home and I thought, you know what? I have enough money for popcorn and butter. So Kathy, over my lunch hours, because I go home every day because it was cheap. And I'd eat the same kind of soup almost every day for months. This is all I could afford. She would make this popcorn while I was eating my soup. And then we'd put it in a high V grocery sack. It's a little bit like a cup grocery sack. She'd put real melted butter on it, shake it up, salt it, then roll it. Some of you may not know this, but you can put a brown paper bag in an oven. And if it's low enough, it won't burn it. It keeps things really warm. And then I'd take it back and I'd set it by the heater in my little car even in the summer, and I'd blow the heat on and keep it warm until I got to the dealership. And then I'd go and I'd open up the sack, and it would just waft out, and all the guys would come up. They'd start asking me, why are you doing this, Mark? Why? And they treated me like trash for the three years that I worked there. When I left, it was to become a pastor. Now I want to tell you this. Not everything about the parts department I enjoyed. It's not my favorite thing to do. But there were very few days I went home depressed. There were very few days I went home thinking, I can't take this anymore, I quit. You know why? Because I went every day and I did the very best job that I could do. And doing the very best job that you can do at whatever it is you do will bring a lot of joy into your life. So the two principles I want to pass on to you today from the Word of God is whatever, you, whatever situation you find yourself in, make the very best of it. Make the very most of it that you possibly can. Throw out the excuses. Quit with the grumbling and the whining and find a way to make a real difference in your situation, in the lives of those around you. And you will revolutionize somebody's life. And secondly, whatever it is you're doing, maybe you don't have your dream job right now. Maybe you're not doing exactly what you want. Maybe the people around you treat you pathetically. Hey, I've had that many times. Maybe they're unjust to you. They've cheated you. I've experienced that. I understand how that feels. And I know we'd all like to smack them. We'd all like to give them a piece of our mind. Can I just encourage you? If it's dealing with pathetic management, whatever it is, you give your very best and you can walk out of there that night with your head held high knowing the satisfaction. I gave my best. It doesn't matter if it's good enough for them or not. I find joy in giving my best.
And you are going to make a difference in the lives of the people around you. And you know something? Making a difference in the lives of the people around you is not an impermanent thing. It's a permanent thing. That's where real joy comes from. Making a difference in the lives of the people around you. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you tonight that you gave your very best. That you gave us your very best when you came. You gave us your very best when you made this planet. You gave us your very best in the eyes, in the ears, in the mouth that we have. You set the example, Lord. You were treated despicably. Your own family laughed at you and belittled you and made fun of you. Your own people, the Jewish nation, persecuted you and turned their back on you. But you went everywhere, healing and doing good. Though you experienced sorrow, and all of us will, you made the most of every situation. You were not overcome by the evil around you, but you overcame evil with good. Help us, Lord. Help me. Help me, Lord, because it's a constant challenge. Sometimes I just want to say, well, you know what? I wasn't thanked. I wasn't appreciated. I'm not going to do it anymore. We can all feel that way, whether it's our jobs or in our living situations or people we've tried to be kind to and they've only treated us worse. Help us to remember, Lord, Real joy comes when we follow your principles. You bring real joy into our lives. Help each person here tonight. Bless their life as they follow you in Jesus' name. Amen.